What's up, Dialed fam? Welcome to episode 151 of the Dialed Health Show. My name is Derek Teal. I'm the owner and head coach here at dialedhealth.com, which is strength training for cyclists. And on this episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with Luke Lamperti, who is a two-time US Pro Crit National Champion, and he's fresh off of a stage win at the Tour of Brittany, where he also took the sprinter's jersey and third in the GC. Now, the stage that he won was from a bunch sprint, so I really wanted to ask him about that. You know, how far out do you actually start putting yourself in position when you know it's going to be a bunch sprint? If your lead out is failing that you may be planned on, at what point do you ditch it and just start surfing wheels to the front? Like, how do you navigate this and how do you have a successful sprint finish? You know, do you practice your sprinting technique? What's your training like in the off season? All the preparation leading up to it, both on the bike, things like, are you training all the zones? Are you not? How do you actually train yourself between races and stay fit throughout the season with all of the traveling. We talk about strength training. It just builds and builds. And there's so much insight that he provides in this episode of things I wouldn't have even thought to ask him. So I learned a ton. It was an awesome conversation. And I think you're going to be blown away that this kid is 20 years old. Sorry, Luke, I can't even call you a kid. This man is 20 years old. It's, it's exciting to see because he's still in the U23 category, and I think he has a really bright future ahead of him. So grateful for this interview to lock him down and have this conversation. And after it, we're going to go into my weekly thoughts. And there's a lot I want to talk to you guys about. It has been an incredibly eventful couple of weeks, both on the bike and off of the bike. So I'll start by telling you why I bailed on a gravel race that I planned to do, even though it was somewhat local, and also talk about my motivation for big rides at the moment now that I've been stacking them week after week in preparation for Unbound. And then I want to talk about the business a lot. I had a call with someone who really opened my eyes into the long-term future of Dialed Health, and it made me realize that I need to get some more clarity on my goals, and I, I think I've done that. And I want to tell you guys about it, full transparency. Might sound good, might sound bad, but stick around and you'll find out. Now, before we dive into this episode, I also want to let you know that we are launching a new program this upcoming week. It's called the Mid-Season Maintenance Program, and this program is designed for cyclists who really up their volume in the summer months and potentially have a busy summer of events and races. I wanted to really give people one of those no-excuse programs, but also a program that was truly the best thing for them to do. You know, when you're someone who's at your limit with your volume and your intensity and your frequency on the bike, I understand that you aren't going to be doing the same type of weightlifting you're going to be doing in the off season when the riding volume is way down, the intensity is way down, and maybe you don't need to be as fresh throughout the year. So how do I keep people strength training so that they keep their actual gains that they've made through the off season and preseason and truly maintain their strength opposed to just losing it all? So that's where this program was born, and I made sure that you only have to use a single band. You could use more. might be more convenient, but you can do it all with one band, and that's because a band can be taken with you anywhere, whether you're traveling through a, with a car or an airplane. It doesn't matter. You can take a band. It's light. It's compact. And with this program that I recently had reviewed by Coach Josh to confirm it was just a work of art you are going to be able to maintain your strength all summer long, stay activated, and hopefully injury-free. So please be sure to check out dialedhealth.com. The link is in the description below, and stay tuned for that upcoming program. And please make sure that you are subscribed to the YouTube channel or the podcast platform that you are listening on, and share this sucker to your story on Instagram. It really helps grow the different platforms, and make sure you tag me so I have an opportunity to repost it. 
And now without further ado, let's dive into the episode. Luke, you are fresh off of a stage win at the Tour of Brittany, and you won it from a bunch sprint. And watching those, because I've never participated in one, especially at the level that you're at, they look so hectic and chaotic that I really am curious how early you start actually getting into position for the sprint. Is it like 1K out, 2K out? Can you kind of break that down for me? It's one of those things where like it looks so chaotic, you know, like this morning I was actually watching the Giro on TV and they look so chaotic. Like whenever I watch them on TV, I'm like, it looks like the most chaotic thing in the world. But actually when you're doing them, it's chaotic, but you're kind of, when you're in the moment doing them, it doesn't seem quite as bad as what it actually is. You know, like you're there mm. and you're just like focusing on you. So you don't see the two other guys fighting. Like maybe you see them, but maybe you don't see them, you know? So like you don't really see the whole picture of it. So it doesn't seem quite as bad, but to be honest with a bunch of sprint, you're thinking about it all day. Like a day that's a sprint, you're kind of thinking about it all day. And there is a time like the break goes, whatever, then the teams ride. But then like on that, you had to be the stage I won finished on a finishing circuit that was super narrow. So you had to be in position 30 K to go to be into the finish circuit, kind of top 20 wheels, just so you weren't sprinting out of every corner that a tight corner, all of a sudden, if you're 50 guys back, just the effect of the accordion effect you're sprinting out of every corner full gas so then by the end kind of you don't really you've done your sprint you know what i mean you've already done 30 sprints before you get to the sprint so there's that position and then there's also not being too far forward and thinking about it too much before you know you also have to stay relaxed and stay in the wheels um that's where kind of a team help but i would say you're actually positioning like you're really really thinking about it the last 5k is where you really start to like think about like how many wheels back you are and where teammates are around you and all of that, I would say it's probably 5k is the number, but to be honest, you're thinking about it all day. Like it's one of those things that you're like, as soon as you see the circuit, you're thinking about it based on corners. And I'm kind of always a rider that picks like the corners in the last case. So if there's three corners, I'll always say like, Oh, this corner, I want to be fifth wheel. And then if the last corners, I don't know, just say 300 meters, I want to be like third wheel here or whatever it is. Like I'm, kind of a rider who picks like what we all want to be if uh lead out guys aren't there anymore like if it's kind of just down to the sprinters then normally i'll pick a wheel um or we'll talk with the other guys on the team like oh the last guy needs to pull off here take over here or something like that and it's easier to pick kind of a landmark rather than how many meters to go if there is corners if that makes sense rather than if it's just a big straight road then you kind of have to pick it off how many meters to go or how many k's to go but uh yeah, with yeah. corners. It's easier. It's a lot easier to pick it with corners, you know? So this particular day that you won, you say you started getting in position 30K out because that's when the circuit started, just for that yeah, particular stage? Yeah, so we came stage. into a finished circuit. Okay. It was like 5K to go that we did uh, five or six laps on. And it was just a super narrow bunch of corners, like a city circuit, um, kind of like a crit, honestly, in the US. But you had to be in position there just to be towards the front because all the guys at the back, they sprint out of every corner. Like the guys in the front slow down, but then if you're 50, 60 wheels back, you're almost stopped in the corner when the guys on the front roll through it and then they're already up to back up to speed. So then you end up sprinting back onto the wheel, which obviously you're using a lot more energy than the guys in the front to come back to the wheel every time. Like you're in the draft of other guys, but you're doing a full sprint out of every corner to get back on. So it's one of those things like you have to think about position there. And then again, in the final. So would you say that the more complex a finish is the further out that you have to get in position just in general? Like I know that I think it was maybe stage two of the Giro that just happened with the roundabout 
uh, corner and then they had another turn and it narrowed before the finish. Uh, yeah. it, it just looks so complicated. And so you see that and you're like, okay, so they're thinking about it even earlier as if, or opposed to it being a more straightforward finish. Yeah, for sure. If there's a lot more corners, a technical finish, you're thinking about it further out because when you get into position and it's super technical, guys don't move as much. Whereas if you're on a big, yeah, a big highway, like a massive three lane run in for the last 10 Ks, you don't really have to think about it until like your layout can come from the very back and take over a K to go or a K and a half to go. You know, there's not too much to think about because guys are spread so wide, but there's, if it's super technical from the first guy to the hundredth guy, there's a 45 second gap, you know? So like enclosing a 45 yeah. second gap is massive. So when you think about that, you can't just come from the back. Whereas there's a two second gap when it's three lanes wide and everyone's spread out across the road between the first guy and the hundredth guy. So it's a big, a big difference when you're uh, either on a big highway run in or super technical run in. So every finish is a bit different in that sense of when you're thinking about uh, positioning and where exactly you have to position, but they're always, you're always thinking about it for sure in the last 5k. So at what point can you tell if your lead out or your real game plan with your team is working as you get up toward the finish? And at what point maybe do you realize it's not working and you kind of just boycott it and start surfing wheels through the pack to get in your own position? Like, can is there a, a, a line that you have to draw where you'd be like, okay, we're on form and we're our plan is working versus yeah, always- it's it's a free for all? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, there always is. Like, it's really hard to get a lead out perfect. Like, I would say it's not common at all, even in pro teams in the world tour. I'd say they rarely get the lead out perfect, like you talk about it on the bus before the stage. Um, like, you can always have a plan of this guy pulls off at 1K, this guy pulls off at 500 meters, the last guy takes over. They drop you off at 200 meters to go. Like, a perfect scenario is really rare. It happens, but it's really rare. And so, I think, yeah, in under 23, I've seen a love llama. It's a bit it's a bit more of a free for all a lot of the time, I would say. Um, like it's more having teammates to help you kind of get to that free for all as easy as possible. So you're kind of trying to get to that last K as easy as possible and then put you there. And then it's making a decision whether like looking around then and like, who do we have left on the team? Um, what can they do? And then also, yeah, as a sprinter, you kind of make that decision sometimes of like, ah, oh, you're in the last K and say, you have one guy left on your team and another team has two guys and then their sprinter. Like, do you, if your rider goes to the left in front of you, do you trust them if you only have one guy? Cause they can only go so far, you know, so at a K to go, mm. they can only do five, 600 meters. Say, so then you're left early or do you ditch them and go to another team? You know, it's a, it's always a tough decision, but it's one of those that you kind of, I don't know. I feel like for me, I've always just been able to kind of make it in the heat of the moment. Like either, Either mm-hmm. go for it and you commit to one or you commit to the other. Like you just kind of have to commit to one or the other. And sometimes it's the right decision. Sometimes it's not, but I'd say uh, more often than not, you want to trust the guys on your team because you can trust them to do the job, you know, like, you know, they're there to commit for you. So I think it's, it's always better if you can to trust them because they're there to ride for you, you know, so you know, they will take the wind and do what, do everything they can to help you. And I think that's got to be one of the biggest separators between uh, good racers and great racers is that instinct to be able to just look around, see what's happening and make a decision and go. And you're not always going to get it right, but it's like no matter how many watts you can throw down or how arrow you are, it doesn't matter if you can't actually put yourself in the right position and make the right choice. So I think that's pretty cool that you've noticed that you can make those decisions. Now, I'm curious if 
when you get to the point where you will pull out from your lead out or from lead out from another rider and you're taking the win and you're just in full sprint mode to win a stage, I want to know about your technique. Uh, what would, do you have any insights to having your fastest sprint in general in that moment in a race? Uh, like, do you practice technique? Uh, I'd love to know how much you put into that. Yeah. I mean, you do, uh, you do sprint training for sure. Like I do, I don't do a ton of sprint intervals to be honest what I do in winter. The most sprint intervals I do is racing for city limit signs against people I train with is honestly the best str- sprint training you'll do. Uh, <laughs> for me anyway, cause you always like for me, I always sprint way harder if I'm sprinting against someone. And so doing city limits is always the best sprint training I do. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, as far as technique, like, yeah, there's a lot to it. You know I mean? You want to be arrow, you want to still be able to put out, there's that balance of not getting too arrow, um, and losing power because of it. But it's kind of honestly, at that point, when you're at the end of a race, normally it's just, and you don't really think about it. It just kind of comes, you're just going full gas at that point, you know, like you're, you're just full gas, I would say. Um, I mean, you think about if it's a longer sprint, you want to be a better or how to wind it up, or do you want to kick really hard and then kind of like try to get a gap and then back off? Or do you want to try to wind it up to where your peak is after six, seven seconds versus peaking in the first three seconds, you know? Um, Mm. And that's where every sprint's a bit different. It depends. That's where it comes down to if it's a big, long run in, or if it's like a punchy sprint up kind of a little bit of a drag, then it's almost better to punch really hard at the beginning and get a little bit of a gap on everyone. Like if you can get that gap where people aren't in the wheel or um, something like that. So it's, it's a bit different everywhere, but I'd say, yeah, you're kind of just full gas. Like there is technique to pulling on the bars and whatever, but nothing in particular, you know, just kind of the same way you sprint, like everyone's sprint style is a bit different. You know, you see guys like Mm -hmm. Cav, for example, who sprints a lot more arrow and over the bars or other guys who don't. So I think that's just comes with how you sprint as a rider more than what you do in that sprint. You know, I think like Mm -hmm. you're going to sprint pretty much the same technique every time. It's just a matter of how you do it as a rider. Do you ever watch footage back of yourself and critique yourself that way where you see, Oh, maybe I was a little too upright or, you know, I could tell on that sprint, my power wasn't where it should have been. And it's, it looks like I was just trying to be a little bit too arrow. Uh, do you ever make those calls after the fact? Um, I wouldn't say I really watch sprints back for technique or form more. I'll watch them back and see like positioning, like what could I have done here? Should I have gone this way here, that way there? Like, should I have, follow these guys or follow those guys are like more of a positioning thing than a technique thing. I think it's hard to compare like, Oh, I should have done more power here or there because every race is so different, you know, like at the end of a 200 K race or if the stage is 150 K or how hard the day has been, your power is always, it's always relative to the race, you know? So it's not, it's never mm-hmm. a fresh sprint at the end of a race. So it's always relative as far as like, Oh, I did this many Watts, but normally I can do this many Watts in training. Cause it's so different rather than if I rode out the door right now and did a sprint, and, uh, or at the end of 200 K you do a sprint, um, like that's where it differs, you know? So it's hard to say, oh, I didn't hit this number or this technique. And I think, uh, yeah, it's more, if I watch it back, it's for positioning. That's a really good point that your power is really dictated by the race itself. Uh, and obviously the terrain, the conditions, all of these things like play a factor into it. So how focused are you in your training on data versus, uh, the feeling? Yeah, I've always kind of been a, like, 
go by field guy. Obviously, I have a coach I've had uh, for three years now that I've been working with. And before that, I had coaches and all of that. And so I do have training peaks and specific training and all of that. But I've always been a big going field guy. Um, like if it feels right to do a bit more, if it feels right to do a bit less, I've kind of always got off feeling and I've learned more and more over the years. Like the more seasons I've done, the more I've trained, the more I've raced. I know more about my body and what my body needs before a race, whether that's a pre-race ride or three days before the race, how I feel like whether I know if I need a bit more to open up and I'm just not open or whether I'm tired and I need a bit of rest. Like now I kind of know myself better. And so I almost know what I need versus a coach can tell you, but they don't know exactly how you feel day to day. You know, they don't know if you slept bad mm -hmm. last night or if you felt bad on the intervals the day before, do you just need to open up and do them or do you need to back it off and shut it down and not do the intervals? You know, and that's where I think it comes down to the athlete and yourself and knowing what you need. Um, Cause that's a feeling they're not there to feel what you feel. You know, they can't feel how you feel on the bike. So I think that's where it's up to you to kind of make those decisions. And I've always been a big go on field guy rather than, the numbers um obviously i do intervals on numbers and stuff like that but a lot of the time most of my rides are on feel um for the most part and i just ride with the map up and go ride and especially in winter like i'll go hard up a climb if i feel like going hard up a climb sprint for a city limit like i said but um not i don't sit there and ride around like oh, i'm gonna ride around at 230 watts today and sit there and stare at uh my wahoo the whole time <laughs> it, it's really refreshing to hear as a coach because I think a coach's goal is to be able to make as many decisions for your, uh, for your riders as it's possible. But at mm -hmm. the same time, it still comes down to them to speak up and talk about what they're feeling like, because like you said, no one can really feel what you're feeling. And so I think it's a really good lesson for anyone to hear is that you have to take time and, and listen to your own body. And I think the more consistent you are over time, the more you'll trust your own opinion about that. And when you have someone to have an outside perspective, it's even, even better because then you can think about how you feel. You can run it by someone who looks at you from afar and knows a lot about you. And then maybe you can turn to the data at that point too. Like, do you ever think, oh, I feel this way. I'm going to go look at my data to see if it supports how I feel. Or do you just call your coach and say, hey, this is how I'm feeling. And then maybe he goes and does that. Oh, well, yeah. Like if I feel tired or whatever then i'll go look at heart rate to power or something and be like yeah my heart rate was really high today or something like that mm -hmm. like look at it and be like yeah it actually was high which kind of proves this or um something like that or uh i wear a whoop as well um so i can see sleep and that stuff so sometimes you like see that and then that will also prove it like oh my heart rate was high last night so maybe i am still tired or whatever whatever it may be um but for sure, I will use data to kind of back it up because it's always, it is reassuring to see data that actually knows because the data is the facts. And so mm. you can feel one way, but it is nice sometimes to have the answer from the data and be reassured that what you're feeling is correct, you know, um, which the data can't always prove, but it is nice sometimes to see it and be like, all right, I'm yeah. not crazy. I do feel like that. Like it is, it is true. Yeah. I was really reluctant to start tracking my sleep and uh, looking at HRV scores or any type of readiness score, because in my head, I was like, you know what? I don't need something to tell me whether or not to train. Also, I have a pretty limited schedule. So if I have a day set out to go ride and I wake up with a bad score, I'm still going to go ride. And of course that's me as a non-pro. Um, and so 
I have freedom and there's no real repercussions of doing that. But what I've realized since I started tracking uh, all of that data is that first off, it's it's wildly accurate for the most part. I yeah. think there's days where you'll be a little bit surprised based off the reading versus how you feel. But for the most part, it seems very consistent with how you feel. And it is kind of reassuring because you you build more confidence when you nail it, you know? And, and then when yeah. you don't nail it, uh, you also like learn a little bit. So I think anyone who has felt that way, maybe you're reluctant to track your data. It could be something that you just refer to and you use it as a source uh, and not rely on it a hundred percent. I think people who dictate their entire schedule by that are really missing out on like your, your instinct. Yeah. I wouldn't say like I do wear a whoop and I wore one now for quite a while, but I wouldn't say I dictate anything off of it. I just like knowing, and it makes me aware of sleep, if that makes sense. So it's, it is yeah. nice to know the scores and HRV and all of that, but you have to take it with a grain of salt. You know, like I wear it when I race and sometimes I look at it when I'm racing and sometimes I don't look at it, you know, because to be honest, it doesn't matter either way I'm racing. Like whether I wake up and it says 1% recovery or 99% recovery, you're racing either way or same with training. I don't often dictate my training off it, but I will say it does tell you like normally I'll know a little bit before when I'm going to get sick. And then when I kind of start to see that, I will back it off. And I feel like that's where it's made the biggest difference for me is if I am about to get sick, I can back it off a day before and take a day off for an easy day. And then instead of taking, I'll take that day off the bike and one more easy day versus doing one more big day and then you get sick and then you're off for three days or something like that. You mm. know? So I think that's yeah. where it can be helpful is uh, stuff like that as well. But yeah, it's one of those things, of course, you have to take it take it kind of as it comes and not dictate everything off of it, but it's good data to have. That is an awesome way to look at it. Now you said that during the off season, you're pretty loose with your structure in general. Uh, I am curious during the start of the season, do you have specific hour goals that you want to hit on the bike uh, regarding volume? Like what, is, what does your training look like now that you've basically started racing? Yeah. So in winter, I would say, uh, I don't know, 20 to 25 hours a week, a bigger week is 25 sometimes, maybe a little bit more if we're at a camp or I have one bigger week or whatnot. But uh, yeah, 20 to 25 hours, I'd say is kind of a normal, normal week with not too much structure, just like for sure the first few weeks when I start back, I would say it's kind of like I'll get in 20-ish hours, um, whether that's a bit less, a bit more, and then uh, a few hours of gym in there, like a few days of gym or a bit of... Uh, like home body weight stuff or whatnot. And so that's kind of also factored in that time of year. And then once I'm racing, like now that I've been racing pretty much full on since the end of February, it's more, uh, more just like race recover. Cause I race for four or five days and then I have five, six days in between. So it's hard because you take two, three easy days and then you do one, two training days and then you recover again for the race. Cause it's like, you don't want to train right after the race, but you kind of want to be fresh going into the race. So it's mm. kind of a tricky balance. It's super easy training wise. Like you don't actually do that much because you have the fitness. So you're just kind of trying to maintain, make sure you're recovered, but your body's not shut down. So it's kind of like recover, open back up and then be fresh enough to race and not be still on the limit from training. So not doing too much, but not doing too little is kind of the balance during the season. And that's where I've been now for quite a while until now I've had two weeks to just train again. Um, but yeah, for a while there, for a few months, I was just kind of, training racing training racing just recovering in between like not much not much actual training going on just kind of easy days and a few days here or there um which yeah. is where 
I think having a coach is the most beneficial, you know, to like be confident in what you're doing because they can tell you, mm. you can go off feel, but it's just like the confidence of having them be like, all right, do this. I think it's the right thing. And you're like, yeah, that feels good, you know? And then it's reassuring. Oh, I bet. Especially between those races to know that you need the time to recover. You got to stoke the fire a little bit and come in fresh, but also activated and opened up for the next race. Yeah. I'm sure that would be difficult uh, to navigate on your own. Now you said in the yeah. off season that you are strength training and that you are factoring in those hours with your riding. Does that, is that something where you just say, Hey, I put in an hour in the gym today. Um, I don't have to ride that extra hour on the bike. Is it something that you just make a note of? Um, um how do you consider more, that? Because TSS and all the strain, it, it's like so different, you know? Yeah, yeah. Obviously it's different. And I don't put in like, uh, uh, some people put in like a TSS number on training peaks or whatever. I've never really done that with the gym stuff. I've always kind of just done it. And then like, just put it in my training peaks is like, Oh, I did 45 minutes of gym work this day, or I did an hour this day or I went for a quick run here or there when I, when I feel like going for a run, but not that I do it too often in off season. I normally got too hot in the first run and that's it for the off season. But uh, yeah, I think it's one of those things that I put in, but I don't really factor it in as hours or stress score. Like I will put it in as hours. So if I do 20 hours on the bike and then a little bit more uh, of other stuff, I'll, I'll maybe throw it in training peaks, but it's not, I wouldn't say like if I have 20 hours that week and I do two hours of gym, then I can do 18 of riding. I think I still mm -hmm. normally just go off riding for hours. So if I have a 20 hour week, it's just back then and off riding. And then the gym is on top of that. Um, yeah. But it is something that's good in off season. A lot of it honestly is like the stretching and activation side of injury prevention. And then a little bit of strength stuff. Like I don't spend a ton of time actually at a gym, but I do a lot of it at home with just yeah, with kettlebells and body weight stuff kind of is more of uh, what I do just because I find it easier, honestly, than going to the gym. I've never been a big go to the gym, lift super heavy guy. I've always kind of just been do more at home and uh, body weight. So that's just kind of how I've done it. Not that there's one way to do it or not as a cyclist. That's just how I've done it in the past. Yeah. Well, it's crazy how many uh, riders are in line with that way of thinking. And, and I do understand it now uh, because – you know, riding is so demanding on your time, your schedule, your equipment, uh, to be able to just grab a kettlebell and roll from home is a lot of times the most realistic or the only thing people are willing to do. Uh, in fact, I just finished writing a summer maintenance program that only uses a band and body weight. And my idea is that like, you know, people are busy through the summer and they are going to be traveling and you need to give them every, you need to limit every single excuse or every single barrier yeah. for them so that they can stay activated throughout the year and keep their injury prevention, uh, as low risk as possible through that strength training. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's just funny because earlier days coming from the general health and fitness industry in my head, I'm like, no, you need to have full equipment access to get the most yeah. of your training. And it is an advantage to have tools for the job, but at the same time, yeah. the most important thing is consistency. And if you're not, and not everyone's going to go to the gym. So you have to work with that. And, uh, it, it's amazing the results, uh, people can get with minimal equipment. Um, yeah. and so I'm curious, you do that through the off season and you mentioned activation, the injury prevention. Are you keeping up with strength training as you get through your season? How does that look? Um, I definitely do a bit less of the strength side, but I'm always, I'm always doing activation stuff kind of, um, mm -hmm. I've kind of gotten bigger into activation in the last two years now, I'd say. 
and I do quite a bit of band stuff. Um, and a lot of that is honestly, it comes down to the thing of you can always have a band. Like you can have a band in your pocket at all times. You know, you don't even need, it's so easy to bring everywhere. And because I'm always on the road or here, there, I always consistently do band stuff and activation now. Um, and honestly, what kind of forced me into that was I started, I'd hit my knee actually on a table and like something had a small knee pain that kind of went on and that's what has helped it is like consistent stretching and activation it keeps it uh from coming back or any of that and so that's what kind of started but now i realize the difference in the consistency on the bike you know just feeling consistent on the bike um doing it so now i do it all the time but it's one of those things that yeah i do band work all the time and then a bit of strength when i'm back uh in girona at home in between races because i go to the gym there, there's a gym really close and accessible there. Um, so I do go there still during the season and they have a sauna and all of that, which also, also helps. And so I think, uh, I do do it during the season, but less consistent with the actual gym stuff, but always consistent with activation and body weight stuff, kind of the usual like core and activation and all that stuff that you can do anywhere with a band. Which in my opinion is still under the category of strength training. And because it's like, what do, what do you call it? Do you call it just activation training? Uh, you know, you throw in one set of pushups. Is it now strength training versus it wasn't? Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's all like strength activation. It's all just kind of a mix, isn't it? Like there's no real, I say activations when I do it because a lot of it's activating. But then again, you could say strength activation. Like it's all, it's all kind of yeah. that category, like just gym work or whatever you want mm-hmm. to call it, you know? Yeah. It, it's really off the bike, uh, strength and mobility. And yeah. so I, it's awesome to hear that you say that because I'm happy to know that I'm getting more in tune with what the most elite athletes are doing regarding uh, what's realistic for them year round. And cause I, I am learning a ton as a, as a coach coming into this industry. And so I'm curious, you, you do those, uh, activation and strength exercises off the bike what else are you doing uh besides the sauna that you mentioned for your recovery work specifically like are there any other modalities that you're doing on like a daily or weekly basis um i do enjoy going to the sauna i've always just liked uh going to the sauna whether whether i'm gonna race in the heat or not like i'll do it in winter if i'm racing in the rain most of the time just because i enjoy going to the sauna which is kind of a recovery thing in that um I wear Normatec boots uh, for recovery, so I've always been uh, into Normatec. And then uh, foam rolling to kind of keep everything loose. And then uh, when we're with the team, we have massage every day. Um, I race and stuff, so obviously that's a big factor as well. Um, but yeah, I'd say when I'm at home, like foam rolling, sauna, and Normatec's not every day, but when I do it also just makes me sit for a while um which yeah. is good like they just make you relax for that 30 minutes or whatever you wear and then as well as uh yeah formal one and then massage one more races so i'd say that's kind of the main the main things i love it well dude this has been incredibly insightful thanks for not holding back on any of the information i mean even learning about the sprints is so rad and you know i had one more question this is more of an observation before we go just bringing us back to the sprinting dude how sketchy is it to sprint your brains out be fully redlined and take your hands off the bar to celebrate a victory (laughs) every time i see this happen my first thought is if i was that in the red and i was going 35 plus miles an hour and i took my hands off the bar immediately after a sprint i would for sure crash (laughs) does anybody else think about this 
I don't know. I've never, I can honestly say I've never thought about it being sketchy. I don't know if it's because when you win, you're always less tired after a sprint because you've won. So you're excited. You know what I mean? You never feel as tired when you won type of thing, but I don't know. I guess you're so, I mean, you spend so many hours on the bike and taking your hands off the bars, whether you're eating or doing whatever that it doesn't seem sketchy ever. But I guess if there's corners after the finish or sometimes there's camera people or any of that, it can be sketchy. But to be honest, I've never thought about it as too, that's too sketchy. Um, I don't know if anyone really has. Like, I think there's instances where post sprints is a corner or whatever, and then you kind of just can't. But normally when you see people post up, you can. It doesn't seem too sketchy um, for whatever reason. It never seems too bad. But maybe that's just because you've won and you're excited. So yeah, who knows? Who knows what the, uh, what the theory is there? But it's never seemed never seemed too bad. So Hopefully I had to ask it. It, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It's totally random. It's just something I've thought about. Like even on Blevins' interview, I had to ask him if he's ever gotten stage fright on uh, doping control. Uh, there's just oh, these yeah, things yeah. that come across your, your mind, you know. So yeah, yeah, thanks yeah. for answering it, <laughs> um, dude. I really appreciate it. Where can people go and follow uh, the remainder of your race season? Because I'm sure they're going to want to keep you, uh, like uh, keep tabs on you, really, as your career is so up and coming. Yeah, uh, mainly on Instagram is where I kind of keep updated when I can. I'm not the best at it, but I try to keep most updated there. And that's just Luke Lamperty or Luke Dash Lamperty maybe on Instagram. Um, and so, yeah, that's the main main spot where I'm at. And uh, cool. yeah. Cool. Well, I'll awesome. make sure to link it in the description. And uh, dude, thanks again. Hopefully uh, when you are back home, we can link up for a ride at some point. Uh, since we're, you know, not too far from each other, but, uh, until then, man, have an awesome, uh, next couple races and uh, we'll talk to you soon. No, awesome. Thank you very much for having me on and, uh, yeah, hopefully connect soon. I hope you guys love that conversation with Luke. And before we move on to my own weekly thoughts, I want to shout out the rating and review of the week. This is from old slash new timer JCG. This is actually over in the app store on Apple. He left a five-star review and said, changed how I do endurance strength. I came across Derek from an interview I'd heard on a podcast. I had plenty of experience weight training, but did not know how to strike a balance for weights and bike work. I had been a swimmer many years ago in college, but most of my fitness has gotten away from me over the past 15 years. So as a 40-year-old, I'm trying to build a sustainable, well-rounded training plan. I was beating myself up in the wrong ways in the weight room and not getting the best of my bike workouts. Now I feel like I'm getting the best out of both. I went through the Olympic lifting program during the winter, and it built such a great base of strength and even helped with some imbalances and injuries. On top of it, Derek has been super responsive to any questions I have. He always gets back to me within 24 to 48 hours and is really comprehensive with his response. I love being part of the Dialed fam. I mean, (laughs) let's shed a little tear. That makes me so happy. You guys, please go and leave a review on any platform, uh, whether it's Google or the App Store, or uh, where the heck else would you leave a, a review? I probably have to get a more comprehensive list for you, but it really makes a difference, um, especially like on the podcast, because there's not really a way for people to see views or really how popular a show is besides the ratings and the reviews, at least that from my perspective, that's kind of how you tell. So you can go drop me five stars quickly on Spotify. You can leave a, a really thoughtful review like this, or it could just be super short and sweet, anything positive. You don't have to overthink it. Uh, and even something simple will help a lot. So thank you for doing that. Now let's dive into my weekly thoughts. Well, I've got a lot to talk about this week. And the first thing I have to bring up before we get into business conversation 
is the fact that I bailed on a gravel race that I plan on doing this week. Now, the first thing that set me off on this was the fact that it was going to rain and it's May. And not only was it going to rain, but it's going to be rainy and cold, rainy and in the 50s. These are like my least favorite riding conditions. And it's crazy because the what I've heard from this specific event, it's called the Wild West Gravel Grinder. It's only like two hours away from my house. But a lot of people say, oh, it's normally hot. And for me, hot is fun. Dust. There's river crossings. Like for me, a hot, dusty day on the bike is is what I think of when I think of a perfect day on the bike. Just the conditions I've always loved. And, you know, it's it can be tough if you get overheated, but it's always something I've been willing to deal with within reason. Uh, and maybe it's just because of the dry air that we have in Northern California. We don't really have much humidity. So I don't know. It's always something I look forward to. And when I saw that the weather was going to be bad right away, I was like, Ooh, but at the same time, I genuinely felt kind of soft for even thinking that because I'm like, dude, am I going to let a little rain kind of hold me back? Plus this is a B event going into unbound, which is my A event for the year. This would be great training in case it does rain at Unbound. But then I also thought, well, no matter what conditions are at Unbound, I'll be on the starting line and I'm going to deal with it then. Do I really want to pay money to go ride in the rain? And I sat there and I thought about it. I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm not able to share a hotel room with anybody for this event. A couple of things fell through there. And the race starts at 7 a.m. So even though it's only two hours away, if I were to drive there in the morning, I'd have to wake up at like 3.30 and I'd get there after a two whatever hour drive, register, get on the bike and go for a hundred miles with like 8K of climbing or something. I was like, oh man, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I've done so many mountain bike races like that in the past that I told myself, I'm just not going to force races and events like that it, in, in the future. It, it literally is not worth it for me anymore. Uh, and it'll probably happen. And even like riding in the rain, you know, if you ride your bike often enough, you end up just in the rain at some points. But, you know, I used to race in the rain with the mountain bikes and the gravity, and I'd show up to downhill black diamond runs that have a fresh layer of snow on them in New Mexico. Like, I've done all this too much to think that it's worth it, especially when I know I'm not going to be a pro racer or being a pro racer is like not my goal. So, yeah, I think about the cost. I think about the conditions and I'm like, okay, it's going to be, you know, I'm not going to wake up early and drive as I segued, and it's it's going to be like $500 to register for this event, to stay in the hotel, and then to do it. And then I could be riding in the rain all day, which is just going to suck. And the next day is supposed to be crystal clear. And with my schedule, I can just go for a big ride the next day. So I'm going to be honest, guys, that's what I decided to do. And you know what? I don't regret it for a second because it sounds like the conditions were horrible. <laughs> and I, I have to be honest, it did make me feel a little better about my decision, but not for all the racers. Like I want everyone to have a great event. I still heard people had fun. Actually, this event is super cool. Like they raise money for a charity and it's just, you know, I don't want to talk down on any local events or make people feel like they just shouldn't race if the conditions aren't prime. But that was honestly my thought process. And it worked out. I went for a great ride the following day and uh, still got some really good training in. And I'm noticing that it's paying off. But one thing I did notice is that even though I didn't force myself to go do this event and spend the money on it, I still had to get my big ride in. So the ride I did the following day was like 107 miles, like 9K of climbing, crazy ride profile, like literally 
up for the first half, down for the second half. Some big rollers in between, one canyon climb, but it, like I go look at it on my Strava. It's it's really crazy. So it was a tough ride, uh, and I love big tough rides. And it was solo. You know, I don't ride with music. I get a little solitude. I get a little. It kind of feels like a break that way. But at the same time. I was not very motivated to go for a big ride. And I think this is the first time I felt this way. And like, I don't know, as long as I can remember. And it's because I've been stacking big rides every week for the past, I guess, month or so. And it was the first morning I woke up and I was like, you know, I feel like going for three hours, maybe like that sounds perfect, but going more than that just doesn't sound fun. And it was weird to have that dip in motivation. And then I also thought, why am I feeling this way? And I'm like, oh yeah, because I've never done this many big days on the bike back to back to back to back. Uh, usually I get maybe two a month in, and then I'm doing the three hour rides in between. Uh, but it also made me realize why I'm doing it. I'm like, oh, this is the first time I've specifically prepared for an event and done more than my normal schedule in preparation for it. So I can be at my best for the event. And that did remind me that I'm actually pretty proud of how I've approached this training and been flexible, but also made sure that I'm doing what I said I was going to do, which ultimately is up my volume. And I've gone from averaging like seven, eight hours a week to averaging like 12 hours. And, you know, that's a, that's a big jump with all the other responsibilities I have. So it's been difficult. Like I'll say, even tomorrow, I'm about to get out on another big ride and, you know, I have a, a nephew's birthday party I'm going to miss. Uh, and then the following day is, is mother's day. So sorry, if you're listening to this, you know, a couple of days late, obviously I have to record ahead of time, but those are the things where I look at the weekend and I'm like, gosh, if mother's day wasn't already so booked out, I could for sure hit my nephew's birthday party and go for the big ride. Uh, but also with church, with other family things, like there's just no way I could do all of it. And this is one of those sacrifices I'm making, but I think because the goal of Unbound is short term enough, I'm also realizing like, okay, I, I am getting fitter. <laughs> like literally, even last night, I had some a random KOM, uh, some PRs that I was like, wow, I feel strong and I can tell I'm feeling strong and it, it, it like it's working for sure. And so I'm like, okay, I can just keep it up for the next three weeks. Uh, I do have an event next weekend I'm really looking forward to, which is the Pay Dirt. Uh, Peter Stetna's race. Um, and so, yeah, I just want to stay focused until then and get out of my own head if I'm not feeling motivated with the ultimate goal. Uh, because with a taper week uh, going into Unbound, it's, it's just coming up quick. And I know even at this point right now, I'm going to be the best bike rider I've ever been going into Unbound. And that's ultimately my goal is to go out and have a great ride. Uh, so I really don't have any position goals at this point. Uh, I just wanted to bring it up because this is a new experience for me is, is riding this much. And of course, you know, I'm making strength training priority. I'm actually just added one mile runs into my week. I'm still experimenting on the off the bike as well. But, uh, but yeah, it's been a new experience and a dip in motivation is kind of new for me and I'm going to be powering through. And I think it's just really showing me the importance of an ebb and flow in the season. You know, it's something else I'm looking forward to, even with my own programming is programming entire years. Uh, this is like off the bike and as well as on the bike and programming entire years so that you can have a little bit more peaks and valleys. Cause I'm noticing that at my fitness level, I don't think I can make much of a gain 
unless I put on extra volume the way that I am. But I also am realizing this is not something I could do year round. And it may not be something I want to do year round. I I don't know. <laughs> We're going to find out. So interesting thoughts. It's cool because it's making me relate to a lot more uh, members. Um, and yeah, I guess we're just going to see kind of where that goes. But I, I think the reason I know that it's not sustainable, uh, not only from motivation wise, but it, it's also with work. So this is where I'm going to transition in a little bit talking about dialed health. You know, my goal since I built dialed health has been to build a platform, a training platform that is basically like this hands-off experience as a coach where we can provide all of the uh, training plans and people can access and do it without really needing a coach or support. Well, turns out everybody needs help, especially with a subscription. I think there's an extra expectation of, of support, as there should be with customer support. Uh, but even with coaching, there's got to be questions answered. And so anyways, I'm, I'm getting too far without saying the writing has, without a doubt, taken my mindset off of work a little bit too much. And it's this saying that I love from Kevion. He's a real estate mogul. He says, uh, where your focus goes, your energy flows. And this is where racing gets really tough. Even, even like small local races, where your focus goes, your energy flows. So if you're thinking about the schedule, your bike prep, your body prep, you start overanalyzing things a little bit more in preparation for a race, as you should, but that is all energy that's taking your focus away from something else. And I had to remind myself, oh my gosh, my number one focus is building dialed health. And so where your focus goes, your energy flows. That'll be the quote for this episode of the week. Uh, thank you, Kevin Sturdivant, for that quote. And that I realized is what's happening with this extra volume on the bike, but it's also been something kind of throughout the year. Like I think that since I started transitioning into more endurance uh, competing, you know, I've been riding road now for like six years or something, but, but since I've really transitioned to competing, I've been trying to figure out what the heck I really want to do. And I still need to try some road racing. Uh, I'm excited to do that, but Gravel has been the thing I've loved the most. I've tried cyclocross. I've done, like, I can barely say I've done a cross-country race, but I know that I'm not really drawn to the short form of uh, racing in general. I think it's just, like, too close to what I did so long with all my gravity of downhill and enduro and racing dual slalom and, and four cross back in the day, if you guys are old enough to remember that. And so I think that gravel has been this really exciting thing, but I've kind of had to try and dabble in all these other areas and, and really find my feet of what do I like to do and, and where do I feel like I fit into this industry? Um, I know that from a brand perspective, but also where do I fit as a, as a writer myself and what, what do I really love doing? And I think it's important to try new things and find that out because, you know, you, you need to ultimately know where you're going to put your time and, and what's worth your time. And so going through that has helped a lot because even going into the off season, I know I'm like, I don't need to go do all these random races because it just takes time away from my family. It takes time away from my work. Um, like I really want to go out and do events that I'm excited about, like Unbound. So basically I'm thinking about all these things. I know it sounds like my brain's bouncing back and forth, but I had a conversation with someone who owns a major fitness app. Uh, they actually reached out to me about coming onto their platform. And the, the guy, the owner was incredible. 
uh, he was super supportive, not pushy, was asking me about the future of dialed health and where I see it going, where I see the tech going. He also dove into my product and signed up. And, and basically, we, we just had a really honest conversation about the, the growth plan. <laughs> and it made me realize that I actually haven't been that clear on my growth plan. Because even since building up my social media, there's like so much draw to do like influencer stuff. And there's so much draw to uh, like one-on-one coaching with certain athletes, and uh, which I do now. Uh, shout out to Lance Hayden, our one sponsored athlete this year. Hopefully we're nailing it. Uh, but there's a lot of pull in a lot of different directions. And I realize it's kind of watered down my clear vision of what I want Dialed Health to be. And that's also come with a struggle of the app. You know, since launching the app, I've poured all of my additional resources into it and we've spent a good amount of money, you know, like six figures on the app and the, and the web platform, but it's still so far from what it needs to be. And I think it kind of, this conversation I had with this uh, app owner just made me realize, I'm like, are we really going to compete with tech or am I going to have to stand out specifically with my coaching or do we focus on the coaching and not the actual product of the tech until I can actually maybe pay off some of the debt that we have, like from building up the platform and where it's at. And then we revisit it when the business is bigger. Like I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. And I'm sure as you hear me say that it almost sounds obvious. It's like, Oh yeah. Why wouldn't you want to, you know, pay off this debt and then come back to it when you uh, basically can afford to build it up. Cause like, I think, literally looking forward with the app, you know, it's going to take a lot of money to get it competing with other apps that track all of your fitness metrics. Because also like even talking with the owner of this platform, their number one focus is to build and grow the platform. And they don't worry about any of the content. It's the users of their content through their coaches and all that stuff that takes care of that part of it. And their focus purely on the tech side of growing it and what that requires in case you guys don't know because i definitely didn't know when i got into this you don't build it and let it sit the bigger it gets the more service it requires and the more updates you do the more likelihood that things get messed up in the all along the way you know you could fix one thing and somehow in weird freaking data land of code and whatever else these guys are doing. I mean, shout out to the web team, Modern McGuire Productions. I don't know, I don't know how they do what they do, but still, it stuff gets messed up. And and this happens with me. This happens with some of the biggest brands out there. Like as you invest and grow it, it the cost does not slow down. I, I think that's like the craziest thing I've learned because even with a website. You can put money into a website and get stuff really developed well. And maybe you have to have like a, if you own all the platform, it's like you have a hosting fee and then you have maybe some service here and there. Maybe occasionally like a link doesn't work that you need to get updated, but it, it's way more simple. At least my experience has been. Even with the subscription backend of our website, you know, it, it really doesn't have that many problems. And, and up until the app, that was my expectation. So we launch the app and something doesn't work and there's all this buildup for this app to solve all the problems because people are telling me for two years, you need an app, you need an app. I'll come back when I have an app. When, oh, when there's an app, when it's easier to use, blah, 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 blah. And so you, you build the product and you're like, okay, it's here. And then something doesn't work. 
And now people aren't telling you that you need an app, but they're telling you that, oh, this is glitchy. This is clunky. This is like not user-friendly, whatever. And, and I'll just be honest, like you are going into debt and spending way more money than you have to get this product out there with no guarantee of a return. And people tell you every day it sucks. And it's not, it's not easy to deal with. Um, and it's all with you know a grain of salt. Like I understand what I'm doing. Uh, in regards to the risk and the investment and stuff, this isn't my first time doing something like that. You know, I had my own training studio. So, but even with that, it's like you do like one cost and then it's kind of done with the app. It's like, okay, you put all this stuff out and then something doesn't work. And then you put all this more, all these more resources into it. And then it fixed that one problem, but now it messed up something else. And then you added a feature, but you didn't realize that adding the feature would make people ask more questions about how to access it. Like, for example, it's like you say, okay, we can track our weights and our reps. Well, sweet. I track my weights and my reps, but now how do I access all my previous workouts where I did that exercise and I want to see what weight I used? Oh, now how do I have that displayed on each exercise? Oh, well, it's like all these extra layers that come up. So it's like, you're just by building it up, you're opening this can of worms, you're adding more money, you have more people that need to stay on top of it. Oh, and then guess what? Some platform you're connected to changed one code and it messed up how the video stream. So you have to do an app update. Oh, oh, it didn't get approval from the app store. But like, it is just this never ending thing that takes work every day. And the thing that I've realized is that the bigger it gets, the more money and resources it takes. And that's okay if you're bringing in the revenue to support that, but but I, but I'm not at this point, you know. Like I'm really proud of the memberships that we have and the size of the business and, and, and where it's at, but I'm not in a position where I can dump five, ten plus grand into just building the app every single month. <laughs> like I'm just not in that position yet, you know. It's like really just me and the web team and some freelance workers for a videographer and people I partner with, uh, and, and design workers. Like it's a, it's, it's like really just me. (laughs) So I I rely on so many people, but the team itself, the tight team and my budget to do these things is, uh, it's probably not realistic for me to compete at the position I'm in. So it's like, okay, what, what is the other option here? Is it that I use another platform to stream my workouts through? Well, it's something I'm considering for sure, especially, you know, seeing what other apps can do and how much less I would have to pay to be able to get my programs on there. But there's also this side of it where I'm like, I think that the simplicity and the cohesive branding of Dialed Health is something that we do really well. Like the process of getting started is actually very simple. And I think that there's less barriers of entry. And so in my head, I'm like, well, what if we simplified the product through the app, made it even more bare bones than it is, and really just focused on the coaching content itself as far as like programs go, like launching programs very regularly, updating all of the uh, curriculum that comes through the actual uh, website itself. And, And then if you just accessed it through the app for quick, easy to use for your workouts, I think that's I think that's something that can make the product feel really solid. And I and I know that it's going to have people always asking for more, but maybe if I'm clear about hey, we just don't have the ability to go down this rabbit hole of never-ending improvements on the app uh, at this time. But maybe we could build it simple enough and have it effective enough to build the business up to get to that point.
So I don't know. That's what I'm thinking about. I'm actually really curious on the dialed fam's feedback on this one. I, I feel like I actually need your guys' help. It's like, do I keep in, well, I, I don't think I could keep investing in the app itself to make it competitive at this point, but it's like, would you rather have a different platform that the programs are through that gives you all of the crazy features that you want for like tracking stuff? Or would you rather have it simple in my coaching through the branded experience and have things quick and easy to use? Like I'll tell you from my experience, I use the, I, I set up my programs on the website and then I use the quick start feature on the app. I'm doing the kettlebell program right now. When I do that, it is so easy to use. I literally jump into the workout. It's already got my workout for the day. I see what I'm doing. I can scroll up and down, see the exercises. I can watch videos right there of any movements that I forget what they are or, or if it's a kettlebell flow, I can watch and see what that is. And then I just click complete workout at the end of the day. It completes it on my calendar and I just keep it moving. If it's that simple, like I love that experience, <laughs> which is kind of funny because I've actually, I don't know if this sounds good or bad, but I've literally never tracked the weight of a workout in my life personally. Uh, and I know that I have been consistent over the years training my total body to where I kind of just know my numbers or at least ballpark, you know, even someone who's as, as experienced as I am, you're not always going to pick the perfect weight first go. Uh, sometimes you need to adjust. And like recently I've been upping my weights, especially on overhead presses. So stuff changes over time. And it's like, how important is that really for your real performance and workout experience to know all of those things all the time? Will you even go back and look at I, I wouldn't. Is that is that wrong to say? I mean, I don't. I just don't. Like I I use the simplest form of my product and I love it that way. So um, I also, last thing before I go, I know I've been on a crazy rant here, but I'll just say that when I look into the future of this and 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 think about the money it would take, it, it makes me realize that I have taken away so much of my resources from programs and the content itself because I've been pouring it into the development of the app. And it's like, I'm not going to say that's been a mistake because I've needed to learn like what it really takes. But at the same time, I'm bummed about that because I feel like, you know, I'm even writing this recent program that's about to launch. It just made me feel like, oh my gosh, dude, I need to, like, I haven't been the coach that I should be in the sense of providing more information for everyone to use. You know, we, it, it, I could go on about this forever. I mean, we have so many programs available, but it's like, why don't we have year programs for every writing discipline? Why don't we have uh, emails specifically about the essential movements uh, and coaching? Like, like, oh, it could just go on forever. But those are the things. Since I have shifted my energy and my, I've shifted my energy or my focus from my pure riding up onto like what we're doing with the product and the long term. It's made me, it's like reminded me of all these things. So that's it. I just really un unpacked it for you guys. I hope you uh, enjoy that. I guess if you're here this long, you're understanding. It's really like me just talking about everything that's on my mind. I'm really not holding back at all. Um, and it's just been such a journey to get this thing built up. And I think that this has been such an awesome experience because if you would have told me everything I just said two years ago, I, I still would have been like, eh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it my way and figure it out, you know? And so it's just, I think I'm 
maybe I'm that type of person that needs to find out for themselves. Uh, but I'm just excited because I do feel like I'm getting some clarity on the overall goals for what dot health is going to be and what we need to do to get to the next level and, and break through this, this next ceiling. And I think that I think we're getting closer. So thanks for the support. Thanks for being along for the ride. And I'm really hoping in the next upcoming months, you guys are going to really notice me being a better coach in the form of content and being the strength coach and all the off the bike training that you really need opposed to just <clears throat> like bike guy, which I think I'm being a little hard on myself on that, but um, I think you know what I mean too. So anyways, thanks for listening. I have a huge podcast episode coming up next week. Should I even tease it yet? I'm not going to yet. I just, we have a big interview and I'm really pumped on it. And it's actually, go ah, I'm not even going to say too much. Stick around for next week. The next episode has a hitter. Okay. Um, that's pretty much it. Make sure you're strength training, go to dialhealth.com and just start moving forward. Get after it. Until next time, well, start moving forward. I already said the outro. <laughs>